This is the Empowered Athlete Podcast, hosted by yours truly, the one and only Natty Boss, lifelong athlete, sports dietitian, breathwork facilitator, personal development junkie, and holistic performance coach. This podcast is here to change the paradigm of what it means to be a high-performance athlete. The intention and mission of this podcast is to help you create freedom, clarity, and balance in your life while giving you the tools to heal yourself, improve your well-being, and optimize performance. I believe that in order to reach our highest potential in this human experience, we must unlearn and let go of everything we've been conditioned to believe about ourselves and the world so that we can truly tap into what our divine path is and have the courage to pursue the curriculum of our soul. It's my hope that after every episode, you feel activated and empowered to make change in your life that supports you in operating from a place of alignment of who you're meant to be. Get ready for major shifts and transformation. It's time to dive in. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. It's your host, Natty Boss. And in today's episode, we have a special guest that I found through my friend Connor. And this is Alexis McCluskey. She's a life and mindset direction coach. And I'm really excited for her to share her energy and her experiences and what she has to offer. I found her connected with her content. And I was like, even though she works primarily with uh, entrepreneurs, I was like, this absolutely is information for high performers. And that's who we are talking to because entrepreneurs are high performers. And in the jujitsu world and in general, most people, or there are a lot of people, whether they're academy owners, which are entrepreneurs, um, or you are just embarking on a different type of entrepreneurial journey. I see a lot of that in this industry. So this is going to be really applicable and I'm really excited. And honestly, this is going to be applicable, of course, whether or not you're an entrepreneur, because things like procrastination, perfectionism literally runs deep in all of us. So I'm really excited for her to share her wisdom on this. So a little bit of background on Alexis. She's based in Boulder, Colorado. She's a self-proclaimed tough love coach that's looking to redefine what tough love means. She's a life in business coach for entrepreneurs, mostly ADHD, which I'm excited to dive into, that are looking to take the stress out of building a unique and out-of-the-box business and to make it fun. She wants to help people weed through the roadblocks that hold them back, like perfectionism, procrastination, workaholism, and lack of focus. And she's all about getting to the root of the problem versus the band-aid. And you guys know by now, that is my jam, is the root to solving issues and not just putting band-aids on bullet wounds. So I'm really excited to have Miss Alexis here. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on and welcome. Thank you so much. What an introduction. I, I appreciate it. I'm really excited to be here, especially uh, like talking to you and I love, I'm an athlete. I, I, I played volleyball for 13 years and I feel like athletes, especially like high performing athletes, just like, I mean, you like could kick my ass, but um, just in terms of like the drive, I feel like we just like get each other on a different level. Not that people who aren't athletes are like not high performers, but like being an athlete takes a different type of mindset. So I love talking and like working with athletes. 100%. Yeah. So it's super cool that you have athletic background as well, just because you can relate. And anyone who just, like you said, is an athlete or has been an athlete in the past, like it does take a different level of commitment and drive and just a different part of you. Um, so you could definitely relate to that. So that's really, really cool. Um, so I always love to start just hearing the backgrounds of people. And so a little bit about your story of what led you to do what you do today. Yeah. So my, every time I tell my story, it's, there's so, so many different 
things I can share because I have done a lot of different things within this business. Uh, I went to school to be a high school history teacher. Uh, and that's not at all what I'm doing now. I mean, I guess in teaching, but I realized uh, towards the end of, of college that it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And so I had like up and left the East coast, moved to the West coast with a guy I'd been dating. It ended up being this abusive relationship. Uh, I ended up getting out of that relationship, but it was homeless sleeping out of my car, um, in, in the streets of LA and just figuring my, my shit out. And I had this kind of and I always say when, when I write a book, it's going to be themed around this, this idea of um, like the victim mentality and like pity parties we throw for ourselves. And there are reasons why we do that, of course. But I realized that a lot of the things that had happened in my life weren't necessarily like my fault. Like my abusive relationship wasn't my fault, but my responsibility to get myself out of it was because I wasn't going to rely on him. I wasn't going to rely on anybody else. I was living, you know, 2,200 some miles away from home, knowing no one. And so went through a few different experiences that kind of woke me up to realize like no one's coming to save me type of thing. And so I got back up on my feet. I started, well, what really, I think what really kicked it off. And I don't, I think I don't talk about this enough. I used to talk about it because I used to be really into uh, fitness and nutrition. Um, but I think what really kicked off besides the whole realizing that I was throwing pity parties was, uh, when I got diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome in February of 2013 and my entire like childhood, like I was never sick. Like I never even got the flu. I was, I just was, I never broke a bone. Like I was never in the hospital. I was never sick. And so to have that whole experience and then at like 22, 23 have that, like, I thought I was dying. The more I found out about it, it's not like, you know, life-threatening or anything like that. Um, it's kind of just like having some, an, an autoimmune disorder, even though it's not that, but I, it kind of like woke me up. And at the time I also was struggling with two eating disorders. And so it was kind of my other wake up call that like, I need to take care of me and my health and my mental health and all the things. And so that's kind of what kicked me off to start sharing on social media. I started sharing on Tumblr first. Sorry, my dogs are going crazy. I don't know, can you hear them? I don't think you can because my mic. Okay, cool. Um, but I started sharing like my nutrition journey. That's really where I started, just like figuring out like how I could heal myself naturally. And so from that point up until now, I have just evolved my journey and what I have learned to help myself, my mental health, my physical health, all the things. And so it went from like nutrition and then I was into fitness and then I did that work marketing for like eight years. And then I got really good at building that business and build a six figure business. And I was like, Oh, this is fun. And I'm good at social media and I'm good in front of the camera and I, and I enjoy it. Like, why can I help like start, you know, do my own thing. And so then I started getting, and I was always doing a little bit of life coaching but I did some life coaching. And then I realized that a lot of the things that my clients had in common were that they were all entrepreneurs or that they wanted to start a business, a common thing. And this is something that a lot of my content right now is, is about to like direct to, because it's just a common thing. Everybody's sharing with me is like, I have a million ideas, but I don't know what to do with them. And so that is such a common theme with my clients. And so I realized like, all of my clients are entrepreneurs anyway. Like, why don't I just more so market my, still do the life coaching, still talk about all the things underneath the surface, but help entrepreneurs. So it's not just like business coaching, it's helping entrepreneurs, but from a little bit of a different angle. And yeah. so that's kind of, you know, what, what has led me to here, but I've changed and 
changed my mind and changed my social media and changed so many things from basically like 2011 to now. So yeah, yeah it's crazy. Um, my, my journey also started with nutrition. I'm a, I'm a dietitian, but okay. it's just interesting how, when, cause the, the underlying theme is really this awareness of starting to take care of yourself and like prioritize yourself. And then it kind of evolves from there as you realize there's deeper layers and usually nutrition is like that surface layer that is easiest to address. And then as you get deeper into it, you're like, oh, there's a lot more here. So I really honor you for what you're doing. And yeah, so I know that one of the things that you kind of say that you focus on is like the ADHD and we could dive into the perfectionism too. Um, but I'm curious, like, what are the characteristics and symptoms of the ADHD and perfectionism that are, you know, most prevalent or that your clients have, or, um, how does, how does one recognize that they are potentially in that arena? Yeah. So I always say just to like protect myself, I'm not diagnosing anybody with ADHD. It's funny. Cause I just got a message from somebody this morning and I get this all the time because ADHD goes undiagnosed so often. And I'll get messages from people in their late thirties and forties and even fifties that like are finally getting diagnosis. And they're like, it's, it's just so affirming yeah. and validating to just feel like you're not, you know, you know, you're not crazy. And so I think the, because the ADHD, it, it varies. It's a, it's just like autism. It's a spectrum. You know, there's not everybody has the same characteristics. Not everybody is like a, a lot of times uh, within even just um, a male and female, a lot of males will be less on like the, or will be more on like kind of like hyper side and the females won't, but that's not true for me. I was like the bouncing off the walls type of ADHD and everything else. Like I'm the most ADHD person I know. So there's a, there's a, there, it's so hard to say if there's like one, you know, one thing, but I would say for me in particular, the kind of clients that I do come across is not the typical ADHD. Like the message I was referring to today, the, the girl was saying like, she's been trying to get a diagnosis, but she, she really resonates with a lot of my content, but doesn't resonate with like the typical things you think about ADHD. Like, again, just like hyperactive and like, you can't focus, but it's like the procrastination. And, uh, so, uh, to go along with her, but, but answer your question as well. Procrastination is a really big one because that's just kind of the executive function in our brain. Just the way our brain functions, it just lends to people um, procrastinating. It's not that you're lazy and it's not that you suck. It's just kind of how your brain works. But I always say that when I work with my clients, and this is where some of the tough love comes in, is there's two sides of this coin. Yes, you have ADHD and your brain just functions, not broken, it's just different. It functions differently, but that doesn't mean that you still can't take responsibility for the things that you can control. Because yes, there are things that are going to make it a little bit harder. Just like if somebody has a thyroid issue, it might make it make it a little bit harder for them to lose weight, but they can still control how they eat and how they exercise. So, so I, I, I believe the same thing with, with ADHD. So I would say, you know, the typical like lack of focus. Um, a lot of times people with ADHD have something called um, rejection sensitivity dysphoria, RSD, which makes them more uh, hypersensitive to 
uh, rejection or criticism. So someone could give them feedback at work or someone could say something to that, you know, constructive criticism. And they're going to look at it. Like their brain just looks at it as like, you're the absolute worst person and you suck and you should never do this again. So <laughs> that's where a lot of the perfectionism comes in. I, I work with a lot of clients with all or nothing thinking and fear of failure. Um, and these are so common. And so another one would be like the uh, the we uh, people with ADHD love novelty. So a lot of people struggle, especially with social media and especially in business. And you can even think about it in terms of like fitness or um, like taking care of yourself. We get, we, we love something that's like new and fresh. And so we're afraid if we pick uh, like one workout, um, one business idea that we're going to be stuck that way forever. All my clients are afraid to be backed into a corner or stuck into a, stuck in a box. And so it's kind of helping them understand themselves better. This is a really big piece of my work is like understanding because a lot of the stuff in social media in the world today is built for neurotypical people. And so when you see people being successful, making lots of money, and you're trying to do what they do, but you have a neurodivergent brain, you can think that you just suck when that's not the case. It's just that you have to know yourself well enough to go, Oh, okay. And this is why when you understand, or, or even, even just treat yourself, if it's you, if, if you have ADHD, getting the diagnosis does help But when you can understand that, like, Oh, I'm not just like this. There's reasons that I am. There's a reason why I'm uh, so sensitive to rejection. There's a reason why I, you know, can't stick with one idea and, and run with it. It's not because I'm broken. It's because of this ADHD. I think helping people feel seen alone without doing anything else just helps them open the door to way more possibilities because they just understand themselves more, if that makes sense. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And I know that there's so many people in my world too, that are getting like these late diagnoses and they're kind of coming with the same thing. Like even after the fact of having worked together, just kind of alerting me on like their journey and getting diagnosed with this. And like, that's the number one thing that they tell me. It's like it, things like, I finally feel like at peace or like, just have this sense of clarity that I'm not crazy because now it makes sense. The habits that I had, the behaviors yeah. that I had in the past and why certain things are harder for me. And it seemed easier for other people. And so I think there is that beauty in having that awareness that you can understand yourself more for sure. But I am curious, I know this can be controversial. I know that in the work that I do, everything always comes back to like our conditioning and our childhood programming and the toxic environments that we built, we were built in, as well as even if we didn't get good nutritional food, like there's so much research around those foundations creating the potential way that our brain works and can lead to certain things like lead to some of these disorders um and these just conditions and so i'm curious what your thoughts are on these conditions of developing do you believe that it's completely innate where it's just you know i understand maybe a preterm baby where there might just not have been biological development um or do you believe that it's through conditioning or do you believe it's through both Love this question. And this is always such a hot topic when I talk about it, it definitely splits the room. So yeah. I want to preface it with saying like nothing that I'm saying where I will ever say is anything to, to, um, like try to 
worse my opinion on anyone. I believe what I'm going to say is what I firmly believe based off of my own experience working with people for 10 years and my own like research and education. Um, but if you, if it, if I would just say, if it makes you kind of have this like visceral reaction, like, Oh, what do you mean? Oh, I just take a second to look at it. One, you don't have to believe it if you don't want to. And two, just maybe look look into it. But I believe that ADHD is a trauma response. I think that if you typically look, and if you look at the research that shows it like literal brain scans, but if you look at the pattern of people who have ADHD, typically you are going to find that somewhere in their childhood, there was some kind of, uh, like, you know, chaotic experience and, and, and trauma with a big T trauma with a little T there can still be like, it doesn't mean that you had to have an abusive household in order to like, you know, mean that you have ADHD. It can be like just bullying, some bullying in school. It can be, um, you know, neglectful, but not necessarily abusive parents. Like when we are developing, like we are sponges. And so even like when babies are in utero, like we are taking in everything that our mother's taking in their anxieties, their stresses, the, the experiences that they're going through. And so, and I'll, I'll have people when I, when I occasionally talk about this, where they're like, that doesn't make any sense because I, you know, didn't have any of those experiences and I didn't even have ADHD when I was a kid, but you know, or I know somebody that, you know, feels like they got ADHD like later on, but whenever that's asked, we'll always have the conversation and it is found that they had some kind of experience later on in life that has caused those issues. ADHD is not like a childhood thing. Like it's there, there, when you look at brains, one of my favorite books about ADHD is called ADHD 2.0. And in it, they talk about how, if you look at the brains of someone with ADHD and the brains of someone who is like a brain, a traumatic brain survivor, or like got into a car accident and had some kind of physical trauma or like a stroke, there are certain parts of the brain that look the exact same way. Like essentially like think about like if you're looking at a house from the outside and some of the lights are turned on and turned off, those parts of the brain, like some of those parts are turned off and yeah. those brains are the same. So I do believe that that, like if you like if you think about it, just without all the science and you just think when a child is developing their brain, their little everything, their nervous system, and they have chaos at home in some way. It's abusive. They're scared to come home. But even, even if it's not abusive, they have like really strict parents where they need to be getting A's type of thing. Yes. And, and they're experiencing that. How in the world can you expect this child to go into school and be able to pay attention when the people that are supposed to be taking care of them most are, are and it doesn't even have to be parents. There's so many different situations, but of course you're going to struggle with paying attention in school and memory and focus. And it's not just like the, it's literally the processes that are going on in your brain. Like there's so many different parts of your brain that, that, that we need, you know, to, to, to use for planning and focus and memory. And it's, it's like, it's being disrupted by other things that we're having to worry about while we're developing our brain, while we're living our life. So I do believe that it's like conditioning. It's a trauma response. Also a lot of, um, Gaber, uh, Gaber Mate's content talks about this as well. He's really big. Yeah. 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 He's yeah. I, so I, I definitely, you know, believe that. And I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not saying that these things can't be like genetic, but I still think if you look at 
people who say, cause people will say it's the genetic. My, my mom had it. My grandpa had it. My great grandpa had it or whatever, or they had those tendencies. What kind of trauma did they have? Those, that trauma can be passed down through generations, but it's not necessarily like genetic, like a cancer. It's, you know what I mean? So it's, me, it it's sounds just, like it's to me, it's a nervous system passing down of, yeah. like you said, like the mom has these anxieties and worries and the baby feels that because the baby's feeling everything. And so it's literally getting wired into the nervous system. So it is being passed down, but not from the traditional way that we think genetic stuff happens, but this is more like that with our genes, but more so with our nervous system. Yeah. So I love you 20 times more. Because, <laughs> I mean, regardless of what your answer was going to be. I know, I know, I know. It just, <laughs> I get it. Like, I mean, and the people who are listening to this podcast probably know that that is my stance and it is yeah. my stance and everything that I do is that. And that's why I said, like, I know it's a controversial topic because when it comes to things that are perceived as genetic or just like brain dysfunctions, people can get very defensive because- it becomes an identity, you know, and yeah. it's not our own identity to start with. Maybe perhaps, uh, you know, especially when you start from like a younger child, when you're told that you have ADHD, you know, and you're constantly being seen as the kid with ADHD. Well, of course you're going to accept that as your reality and you're not going to know anything different. And that's going to further reinforce everything else that comes along with ADHD. And so of course, like you said, disclaimer, there are absolutely circumstances where it can be that, but you know, there's others, many studies, like many, many, many studies about kids. And this can absolutely apply to adults too, but the studies are mainly around kids and eating junk food and how that contributes to ADHD as well. And so um, if you never learn healthy habits and you were just eating junk food and, you know, obviously it wasn't your parents' fault. They did what they could. The reality is it happened so that's just what it was. And so, yeah, yeah. It's really, um, yeah. So I'm interested to see any heat that I get from, uh, this, uh, question here, but yeah, I think it's just good to have like a conversation about it. That's why I always like to preface it. Like, I'm not going to, f- and anything like I've been on social media too long. It's I, I have no time to like, try to argue with someone about it. Like I'll have a conversation with someone, but like some people will come in my DMS, like furious, like I'm unfollowing you. I can't believe like, if you don't believe that and you want to have a conversation, like let's chat about it, but let's do it like adults. But what you're saying is so, is so important. And it's what I kind of just talked about with my, the post you were talking about before we hopped on, um, about like the idea that people think that, you know, they, they do better under pressure. So they'll procrastinate for a really long time and then they'll get a lot of work done. When we identify with something that we've always done, like, oh, I have ADHD or, oh, I I'm just a procrastinator. Oh, I'm whatever. I'm not a good athlete. I'm this, I'm that. We, we essentially like make these parts in our mind the reticular activating system is, yeah. is one part of it, but like we make ourselves like hyper fixate on what, what we think is the truth. And so we'll only ever see anything that like com- c- confirms that for us. And so like, I always use this example and I'm explaining to my clients, like I grew up always saying I was bad at math. I'm bad at math. I'm bad at math. I'm bad. At, I never, I barely graduated high school because of it. I got all D's in college in math. I barely graduated college because of math. And, but I, but during that entire process, what was I doing? constantly saying how I was bad at math. 
And because I said that and I identified with that, I wasn't like going out of my way to get a math tutor. I wasn't reading about math. I wasn't trying to figure out what about math was hard for me. I wasn't taking the same effort I would if I was slightly good at something and then wanted to get better. When we're bad at something or we just accept something as our identity, we're just like, no, that just is the way it is. And so when you can like validate yourself that you're having that experience, but say, I don't have to identify this anymore. And this is what I work I do with a lot of my clients is helping them understand their identities, but unidentify with it and then make an action plan to actually like unidentify, not just like set the intention to unidentify with it. Yes. Yes. Ah, so, so good. Love, 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 love. So let's Mm -hmm. dive into another piece of the, the puzzle here, which is ever prevalent in athletes. Something I struggled with for many years is a topic that I speak to all the time because it rings so close to home and that's perfectionism. So tell me a little bit about like your perspective around perfectionism, you know, how you address it, all the little nooks and crannies around that. And I'd love for you to share some strategies that you use to overcome this. If this was something that you struggled with or your clients that you come across. Yeah. So it's interesting. Typically, like when you're a coach of some sort, you like the reason why we become coaches and how we help people is because we go through experiences that, you know, we figure out, we go through the shit and then we figure it out. And then we want to help other people because we're like, oh my God, I went through this. Like, you know, I, I, I've figured out essentially a different way to look at it. For me, I, I work with a lot of different things, but it's funny because perfectionism and like fear of failure are two of the things that I actually didn't really experience too much. I did experience, I do experience or, and have in the past perfectionism only specifically around like relationships for some reason. Like I hold such high standards to my, for myself, but I'm able to like be okay with failure in other areas. I'm like my business, but when it comes to relationships, I have like these standards that like everything's supposed to be perfect and fine and wonderful, which who knows what that is. But so for me growing up, like I struggle with a lot of other things, but my mom always really instilled in me, like, it's okay to fail. Like, you know, you're going to try some things and it's not going to work. So I didn't necessarily struggle with like fear of failure or perfectionism specifically. I think I may have struggled with it in a, in a little bit of a different way. For me, it was kind of more of wanting, it wasn't necessarily things need to be perfect, but I really wanted to prove myself. I was bullied a lot. Like basically from like third grade, I got to, I had to get pulled out of school because I was getting bullied so bad and moved to another school. But from like third grade, all the way up to like sophomore year of high school in some way was being bullied. And so I very much in order to save myself from being bullied would like, try to fit in with the crowd. Cause I'm like, I, now I'm like my authentic real self, but like, I was like doing things and being things that I wasn't really and adopted those as what I thought like I wanted to be. And so I think that's kind of where it came up. It was more of like perfection of my personality, but I never really like struggled like in school. ADHD made it really hard for me. So I always just struggled in school. And at that time I just identified with like, I'm not really a good student. So I I never pushed myself to be perfect because I never thought I could be perfect, if that makes sense. So I specifically didn't necessarily experience it, but I think because of the way I viewed it and the way I was brought up and my experiences around like kind of the different ways I had to go about school and, and being an athlete and all the things. I think it has helped me offer a different perspective to my clients. And then of course, working for 10 years with a lot of people that struggle with perfectionism, I just have seen, seen it all, you know, I've, I've been, I've seen it enough with my clients that I feel like sometimes I, you know, I can experience that. So for me, um, I think just going back to the same thing with ADHD, and this is a lot of my work, um, 
what people tend to do when they struggle with anything, but like, let's say perfectionism, they'll just go, Oh, one, they'll either just identify with, Oh, I've, cause I'll ask clients this like, okay, when do you remember the first time that like you had to be perfect in order to feel safe or perfection? Like was your go-to and they're like, Oh, I've just always been that way. Like kids don't just, just wake up one day and, uh, 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 have to be perfect. Like there's reasons for that, whether it's a direct correlation or not. Um, but like the, with perfectionism, for example, and what people tend to do is they'll just say, oh, I, you know, I know I shouldn't be perfect. I know I should be okay with it. So they just like try to not be perfect instead of asking, well, why? Well, cause we all, when we do things, we're doing it for a reason. Like I'm going to try to be perfect because it's going to, uh, you know, I'm not going to feel like I'm going to be a failure. Or I'm going to feel worthy or whatever. And then we ask, even deeper, like, okay, well, you know, where did that come from? And it's not necessarily so important about where it came from. I like a lot of other coaches and mentors might say like, you don't need to worry about where it comes from. You just need to navigate it, which can be true. I like to know because it helps me compartmentalize because when I realize, oh, you know, for example, if I work with a client who's perfect and it's because sometimes it's direct, it's like their mother was a perfectionist and they put a lot of pressure on them. Sometimes it's like mom and dad got a divorce and the kid thought if I'm perfect, I can fix the marriage. Like there's a million and 10 different ways of where it can come up. But like when you can know that it helps you unidentify with, I, this is just the way I am. And you go, Oh, this situation just made me do that in order to feel safe, in order to feel yes. worthy, in order to feel loved. So um, I think when you can do that, it can, can kind of help you unidentify with it. And that to me is the biggest piece of the strategy uh, yeah. is identifying. I talk about, you know, my ICB roadmap, which is identify, confront, break through. And so identifying, you know, with perfectionism, it would be identifying like, you know, where did this come from? Again, being able to compartmentalize, to know that this is where I started to do it. And the way I see it with anything is there's always a kind of moment or experience or cluster of experiences that kind of cause us to have these beliefs when we're growing up, to become perfectionist, to become um, worried about what people think, um, you know, to uh, overthink whatever it is. And then because we have those experiences and they create that belief for us and we're like, oh, this is our identity now then because we've locked onto that, then we just repeat the pattern and then it just enforces it even more. And so I think I, the, to me, cause I could give you a simple answer. I could give you a book you can read and I can give you some journal prompts and those would be helpful. There definitely are, but that's that surface level versus the root. And so for me, if you can really identify the root of where that came from and you know what part of you is experiencing that and how you can give them some love and attention and that can be through meditation journaling inner child work whatever it is that can really help to loosen the grip that perfectionism has on you and i think that has a more of a long term effect and there's lots of different we, i could talk about it for like 10 hours but you know that's going to have a more of a long term long lasting effect and i always tell say to my clients like it's going to start to feel when you try to not be perfect, it's going to feel more second nature versus pulling teeth, which yeah. is what happens when you just put a bandaid or do like surface level stuff. But what you, you know, what you can also do, I, I call it reflective action and active action. Reflective action is the journaling on it, the meditating, the shifting perspective, inner child work, whatever it is to like work on that route. But then the active action is like actively when you are going to post on social media, when you're going to do something in, in, you know, as an athlete, when you're um, starting anything new and you notice that you're, that perfectionism is creeping in, that you feel like you need to be perfect, taking a second to say, okay, how, how, how do, how would my, my future self or my highest self or whatever 
do this if they weren't worried about perfectionism? Like how would they handle it? And then go do that thing anyway. So you can create a new pattern because you can't just do the work of letting go of perfectionism and then feel better. But then how you've been handling every situation in your life has had this theme of perfectionism. You're going to have to teach yourself how to handle every single thing that you do from your makeup to like how you dress to how you talk to people, all those things probably have a tinge of perfectionism, whatever it is that you're talking about. And I think that reflective work and the active work together is really what can like make actual change. 100%. I love every piece of that. And with that reflective work, you know, I teach breath work and um, a lot of other things like somatic work and journaling and things like that. But that's actually one of the things I do agree with and, and do try to support my students with is getting to that root. I do think it's important to have clarity around when was, if we can like, I think it's helpful to get into the body, which is where breath work comes into play Mm, because where we unlock our subconscious. So that's where, because otherwise our conscious memory isn't going to remember, especially traumatic experiences that we tried to shove down. So they're all stored in our subconscious. So as we allow ourselves to get into the subconscious, we can start asking our body, you know, let me get curious about and non-judgmental about just, where may have this messaging first started to come in? Mm-hmm. And like, and without a doubt, every single time, like there's always a pinpoint, like you said, there's always like, oh, when I was, and, and it blows my mind sometimes where people like actually remember these like crazy details. Like, oh, I was six. It was my grandma. I remember her like hit me with a ruler or something. And it's just like, yeah. oh, okay. Like you just identified literally the core of this belief that's been running your your programming and your entire life for 30 plus years. Like this is mon- monumental right now. Yeah. And so many times I'll have clients where we're like, we'll start the conversation. And what, and I also agree 100% with like the body work, like somatic work, like discovering that. And like, not just, Oh, cause it's sometimes we can tend to overanalyze like all of the thoughts instead of actually feeling them. And that's such a big piece to this process. Um, but I'll have clients all the time who will, I'll like ask them like, it's perfectionism will always be one of those where either they'll say they're not really a perfectionist, they'll either say they're not a perfectionist or they don't know where their perfectionism comes from. But then I feel like one of my superpowers is asking really good questions. And so I'll ask them certain questions and then they'll just like say a memory and they're like, Oh, and it's like, it clicks and they're like, they get it, but they don't really think of it right away until we like dig a little bit more and we're like relaxed and we kind of get into it. And then it like opens up the door to like, oh, now that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. 100%. And like you said, it starts to de-identify them because now they have this core experience where they're like, wow, like this is 100% like where it stemmed from. And so they can take out that identity, they can start loosening that grip on the identity. And I I really like the active action as well. Um, That's what it's called, right? Active action. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And one thing that I did that I share all the time as part of my perfectionism story, um, this is just one piece of it. But when I started social media, my perfectionist tendencies, because I was deep in perfectionism my entire life as a coping strategy. Mm. Um, when I started, I definitely saw that come online when I entered social media. So I wasn't big on social yeah. media. Basically I started my business. Um, and so one of the things that I did for myself, that was kind of like a little, like a commitment to break perfectionism that's similar to this active action was for every post that I made as I made this like commitment to myself was to misspell something in my caption. And it was to literally retrain my nervous system because what would come up is this mind 
thought process of somebody's going to think I'm a fraud. Somebody's think going to think I'm not intelligent. Somebody's going to yeah. think I'm an expert because I misspelled this. And I knew that those were not true. So I was like, I need to, I need to post, make a mistake on there intentionally and let my body and mind see that there's no danger from that. Yeah. And like retrain my nervous system. And now like it's like, whatever, like totally like myself and I'll burp on the a live story. Yeah, 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 yeah. whatever. Like it, I'm a fucking human. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I love that. It's so funny that you say that too, because that, that specifically misspelling things is something that like, I will, it's like I do with the active action. I'll get a, depending on whether it's perfectionism or something else will like identify. I like to, um, in the second piece of my ICB roadmap confront is where we confront each person's specific comfort zone. Everybody's comfort zone is different, but I always think about it like a hot sauce bottle where it's like, this is one pepper spicy or 10 pepper spicy. And so like one of the levels for that could be something where it's like, either you're going to misspell something purposely, or you're going to make a post and you're not going to like spell check it at all. And you're just, cause most of my clients are like, Oh my God. And like you said, you realize like you, if, if you do, you're not going to spontaneously combust. Most people aren't going to notice. And even if they do, and even if someone notices and they don't want to work with you because of it. Okay. Thanks. If you're not going to work with me, cause I misspell something, then you definitely aren't going to like fit well when we have calls because you know, it's just, it's just not going to work. Yeah, absolutely. So it definitely filters out the right people, but it was yeah. interesting because one of the things that came up was like, I'm going to be called out on it, you yeah. know, broad. And then it was many posts after already making mistakes, but somebody did message me and they were kind, nothing like wrong, but they just like, kindly pointed out that I made a mistake. Yeah. And my first, I felt the like visceral reaction at first. And I was yeah. like, then I was like, okay, I know what this is. And then I was just like, oh my God, thank you so much. Like when I actually, because I think that one of the things I talk a lot about is shame and shame only has its power in the darkness. So how I kind of brought that part of me out of like, oh God, I can't believe I did that. Or that that fear is actually present and came alive was literally told the person I was like actually funny story I've intentionally you know misspelled this post because I'm working through and literally just like did this thing like being able to share like on a authentic level of like just what I was working through and somebody like they like wow that's like super cool like it was just it completely diminishes the intensity that fear really gives us so um enough about me, but I wanted to just kind of share that. Cause I thought no, that was no, I love it. And definitely a good like integration of both of those pieces and how I've integrated that in my life and see that that absolutely is the key to transformational change, yeah. the combination yeah. of both 100%. And so, um, that kind of leads me to, I'm sure there's a billion, but, um, what are some of the most common limiting beliefs and identities that you see in the people that you work with? Oh, oh boy. Um, you can limit it to, you know, yeah, no, no. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think like which ones would be the, the most, the most pertinent, I guess I would think, and I, I kind of want to like do it differently than like what might be like your typical limiting belief, because I like to identify things that are limiting beliefs that people don't even realize are limiting beliefs because I think Love we it. identify those. Yeah. Cause if I just say, Oh, I'm afraid of failure or, um, you know, I have to, I'm my productive or my worth is determined by my productivity. Like those are all kind of like, people are like, yeah, you know, I, I get those, but I think that for, for me, it's like, even just using the example of what I just posted recently this week of like, um, you know, I do better or I, I'm more motivated under pressure. 
Like I, you know, I wait, I wait till the last minute to do things and that creates pressure. It's kind of, again, going back to these identities of like, you know, I have to do things, these, these, this, this one way, or even with, um, like ADHD, like I, these, I'm never, people will never take me seriously because of my ADHD or like just the, anything with these identities of like, I've been this way my whole life. And this is how it always has to be like, oh, I'm, I'm, I've always been, you know, type A. So like those things are limiting beliefs because it's like, what kind of stress does that create on your nervous system that you have to keep up with these identities? Like, do you actually perform better under pressure? Like the way I explain it is like, you can think that you've just done that your whole life. Like, oh, in college, I would wait till the last minute. Like we all did it, but to continue to do it. Yeah. Like the same (laughs) to continue to do it. Yes. You get to have a bunch of dopamine and you get to like only do work for seven hours up until 4am and you get something done. But that entire time of, you know, let's say weeks or months of you knowing you have to finish this and you're going to do it at the last minute even though you're not doing it, it's taking up space in your brain. There's plenty of studies that show people with procrastinate or people who procrastinate have their amygdalas in their brain are bigger. It like essentially takes up more space in your brain and your amygdala is like your, it controls like your fear response and a few other things, but like that means it's on overdrive. And so even though like you're not consciously thinking about it, it's sitting there and you like think, oh, I should do it. So you're like, essentially going through weeks, days, months, whatever of stress, and then having dopamine because you got everything done at once versus being a little bit more organized and unidentifying with the fact that you pressure creates motivation and getting a little bit done over time. And then you don't have any stress. So it's like any of these things, I think where people just identify that they kind of have to be, you know, a certain way. But I would say if I, there's just the one thing that's like keeps coming into my mind um, is like all or nothing thinking. And I think that a lot of people don't necessarily think that that is a limiting belief, but this idea that you, and it, it comes up in so many different ways and people don't even realize it's all or nothing thinking. It's this, this idea of like, if I can't do it all now, why bother? Or it's not good enough. So they'll procrastinate because of it. They won't try something because they don't have all the answers yet. And it's like, that's all about all or nothing thinking that black or white thinking that something has to be a certain way in order for you to start it, go after it, try it is such a limiting belief because if you could let go of that, then you would start things without having all the answers. You would try things even though you were going to fail. Like I think all or nothing is like such a umbrella theme that a lot of the other things fall under fear of failure, perfectionism. Cause like perfectionism, like if it's not perfect, might as well not even bother. Uh, you know, if, if I'm going to fail, I might as well not even bother. You know what I mean? I think all or nothing, if I could say is like, that would be like the ultimate limiting belief. And sometimes people don't even realize it's a limiting belief. Yeah. 100%. And just something that you had mentioned about like that dopamine hit we get with like finishing a task that was so me. I had to really retrain that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it kind of sounds like, like that is a combustible fire at the end of energy, but what's actually happening, which is depleting our energy and creating procrastination and fatigue, if you will, because everybody's struggle, struggling also with a chronic fatigue, yeah, um, for sure. is it's kind of like a slow burn. So it's like a slow burn, all the months that you're procrastinating, where it's still 
taking energy and it's still draining you, but it's just not till that like last final hurrah where you actually dive in and, you know, seven hours of chugging away at something, but it's still wasting energy on that, even though it's not like a big combustible, combustible fire. It's like a slow burn in the background. Yeah. with all those things and everything else is a ripple effect from it your emotional regulation suffers because you're snappy because you don't have the energy there's just so many things literally could go on for days but amazing so you did mention procrastination but I wanted to know if you could also speak more to if there's more to add to procrastination um as well as like workaholism as well and just like how you believe that affects our success and well-being other than you know the obvious procrastination yeah 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 it's funny because those two things can seem the opposite and there definitely can be like, I'll have people who procrastinate and definitely aren't workaholics. And then I'll have people who do not procrastinate at all. They're just working all the time. And then I have people that are both. Um, I definitely am the, the both, uh, I've obviously like, I have the tools to not do that, you know, as much. I always say like the goal is never to not do the things anymore. It's just not to stay there as long. I teach people about procrastination. I teach people about workaholism and there's still moments where I procrastinate and I'm working way too much, but um, for me, I'm like very much a recovered workaholic. I used to work 17 hour days. Like I would laptop open all the time, anywhere I'm going in the car, me and, you know, my husband are driving somewhere and I, oh my gosh, okay. I gotta, I gotta answer as many emails as I can, even if it's only a few, it'll mean like I got them hustle and I'm getting, and it's like so exhausting. And so I would say sometimes they go hand in hand. Sometimes they're, you know, they're opposite, but a lot of times the, the, the procrastination is due to being a workaholic. Cause I, I say that there are six reasons people procrastinate in my experience, fear of failure, fear of success, all or nothing thinking, needing to know all the answers, um, perfectionism, if I said that, and then, um, caring about what people think. And so same with workaholism, you might, if you're somebody who's working all the time, pushing yourself a laptop open until 1am, always answering your goals, refreshing your DMS, like constantly doing things like can never sit still. The idea of relaxing makes you stress out. Like that was me. Like if I was in my house and like somebody, my husband, a friend, whoever was like on the couch, not doing anything. I was like, why are you not doing anything? We can't not, we do, we have to be doing all the time <laughs> that can create procrastination because your nervous system identifies tasks with burnout. Like every time we do it, like your nervous system is like this little thing inside of you. That's like, oh my God, like this, every time we do a task, like, oh my, it's going to be really stressful. So I'm going to try to get her to be to procrastinate so we can avoid that feeling. And so a lot of times they can kind of go hand in hand. Um, but again, same thing with everything else that we're talking about, like, you know, the, the workaholism, like, you know, what is that rooted in? Cause sometimes it can be perfectionism. Sometimes it can be, maybe you grew up with parents who owned their own business. A lot of times I'll see with, with workaholics. Cause a lot of my clients are, um, they will have like, um, parents who either owned their own business or something where they like weren't there all the time. And so they've, they didn't necessarily have their parents tell them they had to do it, but that that uh, behavior was role modeled for them. And so they think that's like the only way they can function. Or um, a lot of times, like we think that working all the time is always worthy related. Like, oh, I gotta work a lot of, to prove myself. For me, my workaholism didn't really come from that. Mine was kind of like, it was, uh, it was weird. Mine was like a tension related. It was like, if I wasn't performing, it wasn't really like whether I thought I was going to be worthy or not. It was just like, I wanted people to like 
pay attention and, and, and like, see that I like existed, not necessarily. Like I felt good about myself, but, um, a lot of times it can be rooted in, uh, like money. Like if you, like you don't, the idea when people used to say to me, like you can work less and make more, I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Like that's, that's not the case. So I grew up like a lot of times with a conversation around scarcity, like money is scarce. Everything's expensive. It's always going to be that way. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta work. So I, I, you know, I don't lose out on money. So I think that, uh, those can kind of be the cases, but yeah, not everybody who's a workaholic procrastinates and not everybody that procrastinates a workaholic, but when they're combined, I usually think that the workaholism causes the procrastination because your body is literally like, please, can we stop doing this? Because we need to take a break. <laughs> yeah, 100%. You know, one of the best things that I ever did for my business, my life, my everything has been to do less with better intention. And that's kind of like a mantra. It's like Love do less intention because I would just do everything all the time. And I was actually highly productive all the time. Um, but it was almost like, sometimes it was like just empty, like checking off do list just because of the dopamine hit check off the to-do list. Yeah. I was the person who if I did something that wasn't on my to-do list, I would write it on my to-do list after the fact, just so I could check it off. So like, many of my clients do that. I always hear that in the comments of my social media posts. Yeah. Like literally, like, I'm like, oh, I did these two things that weren't on my to-do list. I'm going to write them on so I could check it off. I was like, this is healthy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'd love for you to kind of shift into just some tool. You did mention some of like your processes of, um, and models that you use, but are there any like general tools that you use or your clients use to help maintain like focus and productivity and calm the monkey mind, maybe specifically associated with potentially ADHD, if that's a symptom mm -hmm. that they experience? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, and I'm again, kind of going back to the post I shared yesterday, I, I always want to get deep with people, but I know that not everybody like who's listening to a podcast and going about their day or scrolling on social media has the capacity to stop and be like, I'm going to do this really deep thing and change my life. Like most people are like sitting on their toilet or like eating breakfast. Like they're not ready to like take on that deeper uh, process to do what they need to do to change it. But I'm such a big advocate for making like that root change. So you're not going back to try the same old thing over and over again. That's just a surface level like response that yeah, is what you're capable of right now, but you keep running into the same problem. So don't you think you need to get a little bit deeper? So I can think of like some simple things and maybe some deeper things. The deeper is going to just go back to what we've been talking about is yeah, it's all this like identify, identify for you, whether it be through, you, you know, the, the memories, your body, whatever, like to be able to unidentify with like why you're going through this experience. Even like you saying about the crossing off the things on your to-do or adding things on your to-do list to cross them off. Like the first thing that came in my head would be like a practice you could do is like when you go to put them on your to-do list to take a second, breathe and be like, what part of me needs me to put this on my list right now? Why do I feel like if I put this on my list, is going to make me feel worthy. Is it going to make my day better? And just having that awareness. And that can be a simple thing too, is just like being able to check in on why you're doing what you're doing when you do it. Um, you know, yes. I want to shelf the idea in terms of like focus and productivity, because there are things that you want to do to help with that. Um, like, like 
eating better, taking care of yourself, getting better sleep, drinking water, like all of those things are going to help. And you have a, if you have ADHD or you struggle with those things, focus and productivity, they're going to be something that take more effort than maybe an average or neurotypical person to work through, which we know that. So let's like put an asterisk there. But for the things that we can control, um, just bringing more awareness around the things that you're doing. I just, um, we're getting, this is our last week, but I had a, a business design for ADHD mastermind. And one of the things that we did in like the first, like two or three weeks was I had them track their habits, like their little quirks. So like for a whole week, you're just like tracking the little random things that you do, like adding things to your to-do list and having to mark them off or Every single time you go to work out or you go to the bathroom or whatever, like you're scrolling your phone for 15 minutes, like all these little things. And when you start to look at them, you're like, I have a lot more control over my focus and productivity than I give myself credit for. And when you do okay. that, you don't have to change all of those things at once, but you can see, okay, what are some of the tools, the reminders, the whatever I can put in place that are going to help me with that. And even like thinking about reminders, cause I do think they're super helpful. And every time I share them, I always think people are like, wow, that's the first time I've ever heard of that set reminders, but I don't listen to them. And I'm like, that's exactly why they don't work for you. I'm so much about habits. I love learning about like neuroscience and how the brain works and how, like how habits like actually go down in our brain. Cause yeah. it's not just like, oh, we create a habit and it like, there's things going on in our brain. Like we're creating neural pathways. Like these, yeah. this shit's like real, real stuff. And yeah. so when someone says, oh, reminders don't work for me. I'm like, what happens when a reminder goes off for you? Do you do it or do you ignore it? Most people ignore it. Now you've created over and over and over again, this neural pathway that goes, uh, you know, Alexis ignores reminders. Why would you, that's like, if every time you woke up and your mouth tasted gross, you decided I'm not going to brush my teeth. Over the course of time, you probably wouldn't brush your teeth because it would just be what your habit was. So same thing with reminders. I think reminders work really well, but when they go off, you need to create this non-negotiable energy, not perfect. I say imperfect consistency, but this yeah. imperfect consistency, non-negotiable, which might sound weird because like non-negotiable, we think of it, but I'm all about like redefining, like you can be aim for your different kind of perfection. Like where perfection like allows a little bit of fluidity, but like, I, when a reminder goes off, it's a non-negotiable for me because I want to help my future self make this easy, make this easier. <clears throat> so uh, if you have the reminder go off and, and you just focus, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And you do that and perfectly consistent over the course of a few weeks, it will start to work. So I think like reminders and things like that, if you use them correctly can be very beneficial. People always ask when they're around me, my alarm goes off probably 15, 20 times a day for different things. I remind myself to, to make dinner. I remind myself, sometimes I have to remind myself to shower, which a lot of people with ADHD can kind of feel bad about. Cause they're like, how are you forget? I, I, I will shower because I've done it. You know, uh, I've reminded myself enough, but it's very common, especially for children. Like my mom told me when I was younger, I hated taking a shower or, or like getting in the bath. And it wasn't because I was gross. It was because like, I would be so hyper fixated on something that I like, I wouldn't want to disrupt it or whatever. So it's like, I create those reminders because it helps keep me on track. So I would say that those can be really beneficial. Um, I also really love, and this isn't like a, like an ad because I'm not like sponsored by them, but I love thesis. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Um, they're a nootropic and there's lots of different nootropics out there. I tell people who don't know what a nootropic is. It's essentially just like a brain supplement, like a vitamin for your brain that helps you with memory, focus, word recall, all the things. And so I like thesis because it's very different than your typical nootropic where 
it's like one bottle and everybody takes it. You go into their, like their website, you take a quiz and they have like six or seven different types of formulas. So they have energy, motivation, clarity, creativity. They have a new confidence one, which I absolutely love. I took that before this call, um, which I usually take like before I get on calls, even though I don't need the confidence, it just feels really good, but it's cool to have like a confidence supplement. Um, so there's a lot of different ones. There's even like an energy one that you can take if you don't get like a good night's sleep. And it's like, you get these four formulas and depending on what you want. So like I typically get energy, clarity, creativity, and confidence, but I've gotten motivation. They have a logic one. And so things like that can be beneficial, but you cannot take those and then think that like, you just eat like shit and take care and not do anything and not have any structure. You know what I mean? So I think that can be really beneficial, um, as well. And the last thing I would say about that in terms of, um, I guess this was kind of be in the middle. It's not necessarily simple, but it's not necessarily deep. Um, would be to know yourself really well and how you get things done. There's so many different kinds of things. I even have this quiz um, called the seven archetypes of how you get shit done. And uh, it, it has these like seven different archetypes of working with a lot of different people of like, there's like the type A, um, the cheetah who like works a lot, the, the ADHD or the procrastinator. But when you know how you get things done, ADHD, for example, People with ADHD do not typically like to have a lot of structure. Um, they don't really like to have like this, like a calendar where they're like, oh yeah, I want to be somewhat organized, but like, I can't have like, you're going to do this at this time and this time and this time that'll drive, that just make them feel caged in. And so in terms of focus and productivity, if you want to do that well, not one answer is going to work for each person. So if you know you have ADHD, you can say, okay, how can I help my focus and productivity and have a little bit of structure because you definitely need it but not have like a, like I used to have a Google calendar that had something from like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., which drove me absolutely insane. So I think the more you know what you like and what you don't like in terms of how you work best with your focus and productivity, and you can track that throughout a week of like what works, what doesn't, then you can create your own personalized, and this is what I do with my clients, like structure, routines, habits that work for how you work and how your brain works, not just how somebody on TikTok with like a really aesthetically pleasing schedule tells you how to do it, which is great for them, but might not work for you. 100%. Yeah. I think, like you said, like knowing yourself and there's a billion quizzes, like things like the Enneagram yeah. um, human design is a really big one that I'm into. Um, <clears throat> it can teach you your authority, your inner authority. To I love human design human, uh, how to make decisions, yeah. um, which is something that has changed my life because I thought I always had to act on my impulse because I always have so much energy. Yeah. And what I'm are like, you? What's your human design? What type are you? <clears throat> I'm a generator. Oh, okay. But my inner authority is an emotional. So I really need to take a few days to make big decisions yeah. and let all the emotions ebb and flow and yeah. then ask myself the same question from neutrality. Whereas I used to like, Oh, do you want to go to this place? Or do you want to do this? Do you want to travel to Bali tomorrow? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Like, because like, I'm just love life and want to do it yeah. all. Um, and then I realized I would always have regret after because I'm like, Oh, I don't actually want to do this thing now, but now I already committed. So yeah. learning that whole process has been very helpful. And then also like the chronotypes of like, what do you work better in the daytime or the morning, yeah. the night? Um, you can use the Ayurvedic uh, Vata, Pitta, Kapha formula, which kind of goes alongside the um, like circadian rhythm timeframes. Yeah. Um, so many different ways. And if you just kind of explore those and um, Google them and everything, like you can just really have a nice arsenal of like all the little things and yeah. don't 
again, as this whole conversation was around identity, don't just identify yourself with them as like, this is what now I am a chronotype. Ah, and I'm also, it's like, no, you are just having, like, it's beautiful to have this like arsenal of like all these different elements of who I am. And I get to just like use this as a framework and not have to identify with my whole heart and soul with it, but it's helpful. Like for me, I absolutely work best from early morning to 2 PM. Like if I do anything six and on, I literally feel myself shutting down. Yeah. And I know my sister is a complete night owl, like 12 PM to 4 AM is her thriving time. And I couldn't understand that, but it doesn't matter. It just matters. Exactly. If that's your time, then formulating your life around that will make your life easier because you're working with yourself instead of against yourself, which will also help in reducing procrastination and increasing focus because you're working with what works for you. So yeah, that's really, really awesome. And then lastly, um, how can people connect with you? Actually, I would also like, if you do have that quiz still available, I could post it in the show notes. Yeah, Um, Would be interested in taking that. Um, how else can people connect with you if they want to dive deeper with you? Yeah. I'm going to write it down because I will forget what we tend to do is go, Oh, I'll remember. No, we're a human being with a million different things and it's okay to write things down. Um, so you can find me. It's funny because I'm it's April 26th right now when this, I don't know when this is, is this going to be posted after April 30th? Yes. Okay. So I'm long story short. I have my Instagram now, which I have for basically forever grew to like 50,000 followers. Then long story short, started a new Instagram and then went through that experience. Eight months didn't really work right. Got this like urge and sign to go back to my old Instagram. And so I've gone back to my old Instagram, but I'm switching the names of the Instagrams and it's happening April 30th because of this issue with Instagram. They won't let me change my name, but I'm going to be able to change it. So I know it's like a whole thing, but so my Instagram will be at the time of this, the tough love coach. So super straight, straightforward. Um, so you can find me at the tough love coach. I also have a podcast that's uh, XOXO, your tough love coach. You can find me there. So I'm basically the tough love coach everywhere. So you can find find me like um, on TikTok, on uh, Instagram. I think I don't like even post on Twitter, but like all the places. Um, and I'm I honestly live pretty much on Instagram. I love chatting with people, so like come to my DMs. Um, I currently am in the place where I don't have anything new right now. I do have um, my one on one mentorship, which you can you know fill out the application. That's in my bio. I what I really love, and I'm really trying to grow right now. It's not necessarily new, but it's like what I love talking about is my tough love collective. So this is like my open membership. You can join month to month. You can join for one month. You can join for a year. It doesn't really matter, but it's open. Um, and it's for people like you shared in the beginning, like uh, entrepreneurs, especially ADHD entrepreneurs, whether you have a business or you're, you know, thinking about getting started who want to build that unique, different, like out of the box, knowing themselves and how they work best type of business. They want to take the stress out and they want to make it fun. Um, and so it's just this community. We have calls every month. Sometimes there'll be one training, one Q and a, you get added to my close friends list on Instagram for like exclusive content. You get discounts on any launches that I have. And we just, we're just vibing in there. It's like a place. If you, if you vibe with me, if you like my kind of content and you want that like connection with me, but maybe you're not ready to jump in one-on-one and you want like support guidance, accountability, and a place to ask questions. Like you're getting it all in that group. And there's different themes. Sometimes I'll do like social media accountability. Like we'll run challenges. Like you, sometimes you can win calls with me. It's kind of just like an all encompassing place 
valleys of my community that like, I just want to grow and have this be this like amazing little like bubble in my, in my world. So that's kind of what I have going on right now. Just one-on-one and that group and then my podcast and Instagram. So love that. So we'll definitely link the quiz, the podcast, um, your collective, if you have a link directly. Yeah. I'll send you all of them. Um, and I'll put your proper Instagram, what will be at this point, it won't even be an issue, but, um, love coach will make sure that's linked and you can go follow her because she's super awesome. And the content is great. And you want to have a a good feed that is going to be supportive to your growth and evolution and not bullshit feed. (laughs) That will only enhance your procrastination. Yeah. yeah, Something that is going to support you in the growth that you are looking for. And I hope that you guys love this episode. It was so fun. I learned so much and it was just fun to hear your background, your perspective. We share a lot of similar things, which I kind of felt when I first saw your thing, which is one here. So (laughs) I'm so happy that we connected and thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing your knowledge. Of course. Thank you so much for having me.